Before we come to the preaching of God's word, let's once again come to our God in prayer. Our Father, we thank you that you are the God who has revealed yourself to us. The very heavens declare your glory. Every day we walk in this world, we see evidence of who you are. But we thank you that you have revealed yourself, especially in your word. And we pray that as we come to your word now, that we would find it sweeter to our taste than honey, that we would esteem it of more value than the greatest of gold. And we pray that we would come eager to be fed, that we would come knowing that if we are to grow in the Christian life, we need the sincere milk of your word and to be fed thereby. And so our great prayer this evening is that you would feed us, that you would nourish us, and that you would give to us Christ, the bread of life. Hear this our prayer, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if we could turn again to Luke chapter 19, where we'll consider this evening Jesus weeping over Jerusalem. So Luke 19, verses 41 to 44. When he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. Now Jesus is here in the final days of his life. The week which culminates in his death on Good Friday and his resurrection on Easter Sunday has begun. The great events of what is known as the Passion Week begin with the verses that we read describing the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. That great occasion of praise and celebration where the crowd spread their clothes on the road before the Lord and cut down branches from the trees, spreading them on the road, singing the song of praise. Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. But despite these outward appearances of this triumphal entry, Jesus knows that all is not well. He has told his disciples in Luke 18, verses 31 to 33, we are going up to Jerusalem and all the things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. He will be delivered to the Gentiles, will be mocked, insulted, and spit upon. They will scourge him And kill him the third day he will rise again. Jesus knows that this week which is beginning with the song, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, is the week that will see everything turn to rejection and cries of crucify him, crucify him. And so there's this great contrast between the scene of triumphal entry And what Jesus knows is going to happen to him in only a few short days. 
Jesus knows that among the multitudes praising him here, there are many who are simply looking for political deliverance from Roman oppression. He knows that many now singing Hosanna in the highest when they see the kind of saviour he is will reject him. Today Jesus hears the cry of Hosanna, save now. In a few days he knows the cry he will hear is away with this man. The question is then, how will Jesus respond to this situation? How will he deal with the knowledge that rather than continuing in praise, Jerusalem will soon condemn him to the cursed death of the cross? And we see Jesus' response to this dilemma, this situation in verses 41 to 44. And what an amazing response it is. Jesus knows what Jerusalem is going to do to him. He knows its sin. He knows its hardness of heart. But yet, as he sees the city, he weeps tears of compassion over it. He laments that the city is so blind, and he gently warns it of the judgments that are to come. That is how Jesus responds to a city that will put him to death. He weeps for it. He laments before it. And he warns it. Before a city that will mock him, insult him, spit on him, scourge him, and kill him. Before that city, Jesus responds with overwhelming love and compassion. And we'll spend some time now considering in more detail Jesus' response to unbelieving Jerusalem. And the first thing and the obvious thing is verse 41. We see compassionate tears as Jesus' first response. And if you're to ask the question, what most characterized the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus, how would you respond? If you had seen Jesus, what would you most have remembered about him and wanted to have written down and recorded about him? It could have been one of many things. We would want Jesus' sinlessness recorded. We would want Jesus' righteous anger against sin recorded. We would want his power, the many miracles that he did, recorded. But it's interesting that what left the biggest impression on the gospel writers is that the man of unbroken holiness, the man of righteous anger against sin, the man of power, was above all the man of pity and compassion. Jesus' pity and compassion gripped the gospel writers like nothing else. And we know this because the emotion most frequently attributed to the Lord Jesus Christ in the gospels is compassion. Overflowing pity when confronted with the misery of sinners. When individuals underwent great suffering. We're so often told that Jesus was moved with compassion. 
Just one example, Luke 7, Jesus meets a widow whose only son has just died. And Luke seven thirteen, when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. He restored her son to life. Jesus also responded with compassion when he saw great numbers of people in need. Think of the feeding of the 5,000. Mark 6, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. And he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Jesus there was moved to compassion because of the spiritual state of the crowds before him. And so whether in the face of individual suffering or whether before great crowds and their spiritual blindness, So often the gospel writers take great pains to say Jesus responded to this with nothing less than compassion. And it's that same compassion that shines through in Jesus' response to Jerusalem here. Jesus is really for the last time drawing near to Jerusalem. And as he sees this sight for the last time, he's profoundly impacted. He sees Jerusalem, which is called Psalm 48, the city of God. He sees the city on which God has placed his own name, 2 Chronicles 6. I have chosen Jerusalem that my name may be there. Jesus sees for the last time a privileged Jerusalem, a city that God had given so much to, What city had received more of God's word? What city had had more of God's love and grace shown to it? God's prophets have ministered to this city for centuries, faithfully calling Jerusalem to serve and love God. Here's the city with the temple, the sacrifices, all pointing to God's presence and God's atoning mercy. And this is Jerusalem that Jesus himself has prayed for all his life as he has sung Psalm 122. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. And as Jesus sees this city with all its privileges spread out before him, he wept over it. He sees this wonderful city, but he knows that it's a city full of sin, full of pride, full of unbelief. Jesus knows that this place, privileged though it is, will soon gladly and willfully put him to death. And cry out, Matthew 27, his blood be on us and our children. Jesus knows this privileged city will reject him, despise him. Put him to death. And with that scene of sin before him, with a lost city in front of his eyes, emotion wells up in him. Compassion, pity overwhelm him, and he breaks down in tears of grief. The great Princeton theologian B.B. Warfield said, As Jesus beheld Jerusalem, obstinate unbelief convulsed him with uncontrollable grief. And here is Jesus weeping for those who would not weep 
for themselves. You know, Jesus at this point could have been very much focused inwards on himself. He could have wept for himself and the suffering he was about to endure. But instead he weeps for the very people who would inflict that suffering on him. He wept for them knowing the judgment they were bringing on themselves. The city who had killed the prophets, stoned the messenger sent to her, the city who would now kill the Son of God. For these sinners, Jesus weeps tears. And it's astonishing, is it not, the depth of compassion that our Lord has for lost sinners. Within days, these are people who will spit on him, who will see him nailed to the cross, who will reject him, his message, and all that he is. And yet knowing exactly who was before him, he saw the city and he wept. And Jesus' compassion here over Jerusalem sinners shows the compassionate heart of Jesus Christ towards all. If Jesus would weep over unbelieving Jerusalem, it's clear that Jesus' compassion extends to all, every man, woman, and child. He's weeping here over the worst of sinners. Sinners worse than those in Sodom and Gomorrah, as Jesus himself tells us in Matthew 11. Sinners against light and knowledge. Over them, Jesus weeps. Here truly is a man who is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But of course, Jesus' tears are not simply the tears of a mere man. They are the tears of the God-man. Here, weeping over Jerusalem, is Colossians 1, the image of the invisible God. Here, as much as at any other time, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. In Jesus' tears and compassion here, as much as at any other time, We can say, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus' compassion here is an expression of God's compassion. Here we have a wonderful insight into the divine benevolence and pity. And so if this is Jesus, if this is God's attitude towards sinners, how much more Should it be ours? J.C. Ryle said on this verse, We know but little of true Christianity if we do not feel a deep concern about the souls of unconverted people. You may have heard before the story of the 19th century Scottish missionary William Chalmers Burns story is recorded that when he was 17, he was visiting the city of Glasgow. He was there with his mother, and they were separated for a while. And so she went to find him. She retraced her steps, and she found him down an alley with tears streaming down his face. And she questioned him, Willie, are you ill? 
And with a broken voice he replied, O mother, mother, the thud of these Christless feet on the way to hell breaks my heart. And do we know anything of that Christ-like compassion that William Burns knew? Do we weep tears for lost sinners? As we drove or walked through Camberwell to get to church, did compassion swell up inside us? Did we say with Paul, Romans 9, that we have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in heart? For I could wish myself accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Do we have a Christ-like compassion for the lost? So that is Jesus' compassionate tears over Jerusalem. Second, Jesus' lament over unbelief. Would, verse 42, that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Jesus, in verse 42, explains his tears for us. He tells us that his tears flow because of Jerusalem's unbelief. Jesus' great desire is that Jerusalem would know the things that make for her peace. But she is blind to her need. Blind to the only true source of her peace. And therefore, Jesus weeps. Now, Jesus' lament here in verse 42 tells us many things. It shows us that Jesus desired Jerusalem's salvation. He cries out, would that you, even you, had known the things that make for peace. He longs for their salvation. Would that you, even you, had known. And in this desire that these sinners would come to God to be saved, Jesus is simply echoing the desire that God himself had expressed so often in the Old Testament. Psalm 81, Oh, that my people would listen to me and Israel walk in my ways. Isaiah 48, Oh, that you had paid attention to my commandments. Then your peace would have been like a river, your righteousness like the waves of the sea. Jesus lament his wish that Jerusalem would know the things that belong to her peace. Show us abundantly that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus had cried out to this same Jerusalem, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Come just as you are in your sin. Come and receive free love, mercy, compassion and grace. That was the message that Jesus had given to Jerusalem. And his lament shows how sincere his offers were, how sincere his desire for their salvation was. And no less is Jesus' desire sincere that we would obey his voice in the gospel calling us today to come to him. Jesus' lament also teaches us that Jerusalem had a special time of opportunity to turn to God. 
Would that you, Jesus says, even you had known on this day the things that make for peace. For Jerusalem with Jesus now before her, today was the day of salvation. This was the time for Jerusalem to seek the Lord while he could be found, to call upon him while he was near. If she let this day go, who knows if she would have another gospel privilege day like it. Jesus himself, the very peace of God, was before them. The man whose message was peace on earth, goodwill toward men. The one who could atone for their sins, who could reconcile sinners to God, was standing before them, preaching to them, willingly offering to be their Messiah. And so in this special time of privilege, if Jerusalem was not to be saved, it wasn't to be the fault of Jesus or God. Every possible gospel opportunity had been given to her. God's complaint in Isaiah 5 applied to the Jerusalem of Jesus' day. What more could I have done to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Why then did it bring forth wild grapes? In this, the day of her salvation, Jerusalem's peace was before her. All she had to do was accept what was offered to her. And just like Jesus' lament shows that Jerusalem had a day of peace, a day of salvation, so do we. Lord's Day by Lord's Day, today is the day of salvation. As the gospel is preached, if we do not accept Christ freely offered to us in the gospel, then the fault of our ultimate doom will be ours and not God's. There's no use blaming God's sovereignty or using that to deflect our responsibility. Jesus says here that this was the day that Jerusalem should have known the things that belong to her peace. And so when we hear the gospel, the responsibility is ours to receive Jesus Christ. Jesus laments finally just shows that Jerusalem looked to the wrong place for her peace. Jesus sheds tears of compassion. Would that you had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Light had come into the world, but Jerusalem loved darkness rather than light. She had closed her eyes to the gospel. She had closed her eyes to Jesus. As Isaiah had prophesied, she saw no form or comeliness in the Messiah that she should desire him. The Pharisees in Jerusalem, they looked to the law for their peace and salvation. Keeping God's commandments would save them. They needed nothing else. The Sadducees in Jerusalem, They looked to their own wisdom, denying there was a a resurrection. They sought peace in this life only. Jerusalem, either through their self-righteousness or their rationalism, closed their eyes and refused to look to Jesus as Savior. 
And the question this puts to every one of us here this evening is, are we like Jerusalem? Are we closing our eyes to the one thing that might bring us our peace? Are we turning to the broken cisterns of this world, trying to find satisfaction and joy in the pleasures of sin which are only for a season rather than looking to Christ as the fountain of living waters? Are any of us here giving Jesus cause to cry out in lamentation over us? Would that you, even you, had known the things that make for peace. Well, if we haven't yet turned to Jesus Christ, be assured that if we do this evening, the Christ of compassion and mercy who weeps tears over sinners is the Savior who will accept us and show us love and forgiveness. So having shed compassionate tears over Jerusalem, having lamented over the unbelief of Jerusalem, Jesus goes on in verses 43 and 44 to warn Jerusalem of the judgment that will come on her unbelief. Jesus is all compassion, but he does not hide the reality that awaits those who reject him. And so in verses 43 and 44, Jesus unfolds for unbelieving Jerusalem the choice they are making in rejecting him. The days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. They will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Now this warning, we can say, doesn't give Jesus any pleasure. B.B. Warfield rightly said, Jesus wailed aloud when he announced the days shall come upon thee when thine enemies shall dash thee to the ground. It hurt Jesus to hand even hardened sinners over to their doom. But though Jesus Christ takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, Jesus in his sovereignty will judge sinners and at the last he will cast them into the lake of fire. Now Jesus here is foretelling the destruction of Jerusalem by the Romans in AD 70. Jerusalem for crucifying the Messiah would suffer grievously. Jerusalem would be torn to the ground. Mark, speaking of the judgment to come on Jerusalem, Mark 13, 19, For in those days there will be tribulation, such as has not been seen since the beginning of creation, which God created until this time, nor ever shall be. Unless the Lord shortened these days, no flesh would be saved. That was the terrible end that was to meet Jerusalem. The city would be besieged. Any who attempted to escape would be crucified. 
When the walls of the city were breached, the city was burnt to the ground. Survivors were sold into slavery. Thousands upon thousands died. What a tragic end to the city of God. And all because they refused to know the things that belonged to their peace. But that judgment of Jerusalem is only a faint picture of the last judgment. Here is impenitent, unbelieving Jerusalem, gospel-despising Jerusalem, Christ crucifying Jerusalem, destroyed. But at the last day, all who reject the gospel will know even worse All who reject the compassionate Savior, Jesus Christ, will hear the words, Matthew 25, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. That is the reality of the end of unbelief. Jesus does not hide that from us, but warns us of the wrath that is to come. And compassionate Jesus warns us of that wrath. Why? That we might flee from it. He warns us of it because there is no need to perish. The compassionate Jesus who weeps over lost sinners is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His compassion is not less today than it was in the days of his flesh. Jesus says, To all of us, as he said to Jerusalem on another occasion. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. Jesus gives us this warning that we might fly under the shadow and care of his compassionate wings and see in him the one who has suffered this very judgment that we need not suffer judgment at all. Well, let us all this evening run to the compassionate Savior who warns us of the reality of judgment. And let us also go out And take that message of a compassionate saviour to a lost and needy world. Amen. May God bless his word to us.